Welcome everybody to Between the Lines, the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Eder and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us to deconstruct that week's parasha, exploring new insights and meaning in the Torah. And of course, after the brief interlude that we've had for Pesach, it is wonderful to be joined this week by Professor Edward Greenstein, who is the Professor Emeritus of Bible at Bar Ilan University. He received the Emmet Prize in Humanities Biblical Studies for 2020, and his book, Job, A New Translation, won the acclaim of the American Library Association, and that was in 2019. And he is a prolific scholar on all accounts and is writing currently, I believe, a commentary on lamentations for the Jewish Publication Society. Professor Greenstein, it's wonderful that you're here joining us to explore Shemini today. Glad to be with you. So diving straight in and in what is, of course, the book of Vayikra, which has relatively little narrative, we have in this parasha the story of Nadav and Avihu. And I wonder really, and maybe this is an assumption that you might want to kick into touch, but I wonder what is their sin, the sin of Nadav and Avihu for, of course, what befalls them. This episode, as you remarked, is very unusual in the midst of Sefer Vayikra, Leviticus, uh, which is concerned primarily with the ritual. Now, in order to give certain background to my reading of this and the importance of this episode in Sefer Vayikra, we have to keep in mind what the ritual is. The Israelites are commanded about how to worship God and also how to behave among themselves. And um, there are blessings for obedience and punishments for disobedience. Now, the danger in such a system is that if you are doing everything right, you're following all the instructions, and you're doing all of the rituals properly, the assumption is everything should go well. And it, even though it seems that God is commanding you and you are obeying, in fact, it might seem that you are controlling God. That is, you are performing all these mitzvot, all these different rituals and cures, etc., according to God's instructions. But, and in doing so, you are, in a sense, bending God in order to do good for you. In other words, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do for you, therefore you must do good for me. Right, And only if I violate, only if I transgress, will you do bad things to me and my community. So it seems that instead of God controlling the people, in a certain way, the people might seem to be controlling God. Against that background, I understand the story of Nadav and Avihu, because this is a story in which God actually does something 
that is completely unannounced. There is no warning. And it's not at all clear that there's any punishment here. Even though the commentators, the classical commentators and most modern commentators, see this story as one of a punishment in search of a crime. In other words, what did the sons of Aaron do to deserve this terrible fate that they get incinerated by God on the spot? Instead, I think that it should be looked at the other way around and not assume that this is a punishment. If you don't assume it's a punishment, then there may not be any particular sin. But rather, what we find here is that God is dangerous, that you have to be very careful, you tiptoe around the deity, because you don't know what God will do. God can be unpredictable. We see um, a kind of corroboration of this approach in the book of Job, where Job is afflicted, even though he's been a perfect human being. God approves of everything he's done. He's pious, he's good, and yet he is made to suffer terribly. We also see a similar situation with respect to ritual law in the Haftarah that the rabbis in ancient times chose to pair with our parasha, with parasha Shmini. In that story, you may recall, the ark is being kept in the house of Avinadav. And notice, there's a clear connection to our parasha in the Torah, because our story is about the death of Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu. Turn the names around, and you've got Avinadav the person who was holding the ark. And there wasn't any tabernacle yet and no sanctuary, no permanent dwelling for God. So it was being held at his house. And they were about to transport the ark on a wagon to Jerusalem. They put the ark on the wagon, but one of the sons of named Uzzah saw that the cart was about to fall and the ark was about to tumble to the ground because the animals pulling the cart had stumbled. And so he stretched out his hand in order to stabilize the the ark. But what happened? He was zapped on the spot. Peretz Uzzah, as the place was called, an outburst of God at Uzzah. Now, did, did Uzzah do anything wrong? He didn't intend to do anything wrong. But what he did was he touched the ark. He he put his not entirely pure hand on the entirely pure and holy ark, and the ark cannot tolerate such a a contamination. And so the only way to rid the, the situation of the contamination is to kill Uzzah on the spot. Now, that's a story about the irrational side of God, the unpredictable, how God is can be terrifying and and a threat. And that is that you might forget in reading through the rituals of Vayikra. And so I think in the book of Leviticus, we have a story that reminds us that God is not some is not a party that can be easily controlled, but rather 
God is God and is completely different from us. And we are supposed to mean the rituals properly and we're supposed to behave toward one another. But yet God is not bound by the same bonds of, of ritual and morality that we are. I'd love just to maybe go back a little bit to yes. um, perhaps some of the traditional commentaries and wonder if any of those resonate in any way. Now, the story of Nadav and Abihu, as told in Leviticus chapter 10, in the middle of Parashat Shemini, the story is extremely mysterious and ambiguous. I'm going to read you my translation of it, which tends to be very literal, but it's important for understanding certain of the ambiguities, which I will point out. They took sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, the older sons. They each took each man his tray. They put them in them fire. Notice it says they put them in fire, not strange fire. Later, it will be called strange fire, but not when they first put it in. That's one of the ambiguities. Was there something wrong with where they took the fire from or not? Not clear. They placed on it incense. They brought near before the Lord fire, strange fire, that he, God, or Moses, we don't know, did not command them. Because if God commanded this before, we didn't know that because it was never told. It came out, fire did, from before Adonai, before from the Lord. It consumed them. They died before Adonai. He spoke, Moses did to Aaron. It is that which he spoke, Adonai did, saying, Among my near ones I shall be hallowed, and before all the people I shall be honored. And this stifled Aaron. He was stilled. Now, there are more mysteries in the story as well, but let me just focus on a couple of the ones in which that are obvious in which we just in what we just read first that even though almost everybody claims there was something wrong with the fire they brought it does not say that in the first place only in the second place in addition moses says to aaron that god means that he can only be he should be hallowed among his near ones before all the people i shall be honored the question is what is being emphasized among my near ones i shall be hallowed in other words, maybe Nadav and Avihu, not being the high priest Aaron, but his older sons, maybe the problem was that they and not Aaron, the highest priest, brought the offering. But it also could mean among my near ones, I shall be hallowed. In other words, they did something wrong, even though they were near ones. Before all the people I shall be honored, does it mean that, well, in front of all the people where they, they brought this fire, I shall be honored? That is, I am, I have to be respected, I have to be treated according to my, the way that I am ordinarily sanctified? Or does it mean that when I am honored, it should be before all the people and not done privately the way that Nadav and Avihu seem to have done this ritual? So we have questions here which can't really be answered. In my understanding, there is also a text in Second Chronicles which tells about the king Uziahu who brings an offering instead of the high priest. And the question there 
and it's very similar to our episode in many respects. I don't have time to go into all the parallels now, but it tells a story that's about the wrong person doing the right deed. And so maybe this is about Nadav and Avihu being the right person doing the wrong deed, or maybe it's about the wrong people doing the right deed. It is really not clear. Now, this story is referred to two other times in the Torah, in Numbers chapter 3, verse 4, and in Numbers 26, 61. And there it says that Nadav and Avihu died, Bahakrivam Esh Zara Lifnei Hashem, when they brought strange fire before God. The problem, according to that, those two verses in Numbers, is that they performed an illicit ritual. They brought fire that wasn't the right fire to bring before God as the tabernacle was being dedicated. However, if you read Leviticus chapter 16, the first verses, which we read every year in the synagogue, not only at time, but also on Yom Kippurim, the morning of Yom, Yom Kippur, it says that the problem was they died that is, when they themselves came near to God. So it seems that according to that verse, the problem is not the ritual, the problem is that they were the wrong people to bring this sacrifice. Now, as you can imagine, and as Simon has indicated, there are many interpretations that are given. One of the things I learned from one of my teachers a long time ago is when there are many explanations, there is no explanation. That you can say that there are many explanations, you can interpret it many different ways, and each one has a certain validity. Or you could say, this really is mysterious. This is not something we can really get our heads around which is the way that I tend to understand it. But I'll tell you how many of the classical commentators understood it. That they came, that the, that the two sons of Aaron came too close to the divine presence. That they brought an improper offering. That they brought strange fire, not from the altar, but from another place. That they neglected to consult before they performed this ritual. Maybe Moses was supposed to instruct them. They didn't wait for Moses' instruction. Now, right after this episode, there are some injunctions that are made to the priests that they shouldn't go drunk into the, the, the ritual tabernacle or whatever. In any case, also that their clothes should be trim and prim. So one of the, uh, one of the explanations of the rabbis is they drank wine before they approached the altar. That was their problem. Or they approached with unwashed hands and feet, or they were not wearing the proper garments when they came in, or that they were that it's a command of all Israelite men to have children, and they didn't have any children, and that was their problem. Or they were arrogant. They thought no women were worthy of being of serving. They thought that they could replace Moses and Aaron. They, there. In other words, we could go down the list. That there are even a few many, explanations. many explanations. Yes, but um, what I, I think is clear is that none of these explanations rises in any way naturally out of reading the story. That when you read the story for itself, it is extremely right mystifying. And even though there are many people who think that the goal of the of an interpreter 
is to explain everything as rationally as possible. I think that when something in the Torah or anywhere else is narrated in a particularly mystifying way, that the right way of reading is to understand it as mystifying. I certainly love your mystifying conclusions and bringing to light the paradox that this circumstance seemingly seems to be. I wonder really if you might share what you think is going in bringing the deity to the front of things and the critique of perhaps the notion that you're dis- that you've been discussing of expecting an outcome favorably if one is doing good and unfavorably if one is doing bad what is the text here in this episode perhaps responding to as i said at the beginning i think that this episode is important for emphasizing that that one cannot rely on god to reward the good and to punish the bad because if we assume that is the case then you can't have a character like job you can't have people who are really righteous people good people we admire who who suffer in ways that are extremely distressing in ways that that cause us to challenge god's justice and justice in the world one of the things that i especially like about jewish tradition is that there's always been room for assumptions of divine justice not everything is good not everything is right and if you follow the torah or certain parts of the torah like the parts that are incorporated into the shema yisrael you begin to think that that if i do the right thing god will reward me will give me rain in its due season and, and take care of me i'll be healthy if i if i do what god wants of me but we know very well that in this world there are diseases that we still can't control that there are what we call acts of god storms and floods that we that we can't control and that the world is a place where not everything works according to the moral calculus that we'd like to find in it now Hazal the ancient sages understood this very well and that's why they understood that we cannot expect saharva onesh reward and punishment in this life if you look for it in during your earthly existence you will be severely disappointed you'll look around and you'll see many exceptions to the the moral calculus what we call just retribution that if you do good you get good you do bad you get bad we see righteous people who suffer we see evil people who seem to prosper this was recognized already by the prophets you read it several times in jeremiah in the prophet it's found in the tanakh not only in the book of job but what the rabbis said is if you're looking for a good life as a reward for doing good in this life then you have to look for a world that is all good and is eternal and that is not this world and that's why the rabbis posited as a belief to make sense of the world 
in which the God actually is just, that the rewards and the punishments, the, the, the real ones, the ones that are everlasting, must be in the next world, in the next life, and not in this life. It's a very realistic way of dealing with what we call the problem of evil, that there are good people who suffer and wicked people who prosper. Professor Greenstein, thank you so much for your wonderful explanation. This happens to be my bar mitzvah sedra, and your journeying through this narrative with your explanation has certainly been the most mystifying to date after now a few decades. So thank you for bringing that to us today. You're welcome, and Mazel Tov on the anniversary of your Bar Mitzvah. Thank you so much. If you like this podcast, please do remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, do find out more about our exciting content that we have for you at our mothership, jewishquest.org. And we do look forward very much to meeting again next week. Mm -hmm.